Good to see you. Good morning. Would you got, if you've got your Bibles then would you turn with me please to uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 verse 26. These are very familiar words. In the sixth month God sent an, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. Be it, may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Just over two decades ago... Who could have thought of the uh, prisoner in his mid-70s would have had the impact not only on his own country but on the world that he had. His name, Nelson Mandela. Who would have seen that one coming? Life is full of the unexpected. And we can go through our newspapers. We can go from news items to feature items to obituaries, to the sports pages, and we can say much the same. Life is full of the unexpected. I'm sure that England rugby fans are saying that (laughs) after having an unbeaten run of 14 games unbeaten, which is a record, considering what happened before that when they were thrown out of their own World Cup uh, in 2015. A resurgent England rugby team is absolute heartbreak for the Irish... And for the Scots, and especially for the Welsh. In fact, it's, it's choking in my throat, even as, as I'm saying it here this morning. We can also say that um, life is full of the unexpected when we reflect upon our own lives. For example, I could never have imagined myself being a pastor. And probably many people would, say, would have said the same if they knew me as I was. You know, the last person in the world that would ever become a church leader. Another thing that I was thinking about just the other day was the fact that uh, Julie and I uh, are in our 25th year in this church. And I could not have imagined ever staying in Tamworth for more than a couple of years. (laughs) And we're still here. Life is full of the unexpected. And I'm sure we can look at our lives. We can look at the good, the bad and the indifferent and we can say life is full of the unexpected. 
And I wonder if Mary, the mother of Jesus, thought this following the visit of the angel. Yes, she was a teenage girl minding her own business and then she was confronted by an angel and was told that she was going to have a child. Not any child, but the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God, the long-awaited great deliverer of the nation of Israel, prophesied on hundreds of occasions in their own scriptures. He was expected. But the manner of his arrival into the world could not have been any more unexpected. Born in an obscure backwater called Bethlehem to an unmarried teenage girl who was a virgin and remained one until after his birth. He was eventually born in a stable or a cave placed in a feeding trough for animals. There were no trumpets, no fanfare, no palace, no dignitaries at his birth. Surrounded by animals and shepherds. Shepherds were the lowest of the low in Jewish society. You see, life is full of surprises. <laughs> and didn't Mary know it? And there were many more surprises to come in her life. <coughs> the Mark Lowry song, Mary Did You Know, poses a, a fascinating question of what Mary did or didn't know about the birth of the son that she bore. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. And the song goes on to ask some very pertinent questions. If Mary could have envisioned that the baby boy that she held in her arms would one day give sight to a, a blind man, or calm a storm, or cause the deaf to hear, or the lame to leap, and one day rule the nations. And as the song goes on, it says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. Mary, did you know? I'm sure that Mary did know some things. After all, she was a Jew. She had the, uh, the scriptures. She was aware of the prophecies of the Messiah. And after all, an angel appeared to her to inform her that the child that was going to be born was going to be special, was going to be son of the Most High. And whilst Mary did know certain things, I'm convinced that there was more that she didn't know. And couldn't understand at the time. Mary was as human as any one of us. She had her faults and her failures and her doubts. Her fears. But when we scrape away all the sentimentality of the Christmas story. And look at the facts. The circumstances were about as tough as it possibly could be. Just imagine. The next nine months. Of how Mary must have reviewed the words of the angel. As she felt the baby kick the walls of her uterus. How Joseph must have re-visited re <coughs> uh, this encounter that he'd had with an angel. Was it a dream? Did that really happen? As he endured the shame of living amongst villagers. Who could see the changing shape of his fiancée. I know it's very difficult for us to understand living in modern Britain where... More than 50% of all babies born in the UK are uh, born to parents who are not married. 
It's commonplace in our society, but 2,000 years ago in Israel, that wasn't the norm. In fact, a person could be stoned to death for having sexual relationships outside of marriage. And that was the background. And from that story this morning that we've just opened up to you, I want to share two really important uh, truths, two important lessons, even though they're very, very simple. Lessons which I believe apply to all of us within this room today. <coughs> the first one is you don't need all the answers before you trust God. As I say, this principle applies to whoever you are. For those in this room who might not yet be followers of Jesus, you're exploring matters of the Christian faith. And for those perhaps who have been Christians for many, many years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the lesson is the same. When the angel Gabriel informs this teenage girl that she's going to have a baby, I don't know if you notice that, she doesn't say, that's wonderful, I'm so pleased, I'll get the nursery painted, I'll do some online shopping. She doesn't say any of those things. But what Luke tells us is that Mary was greatly troubled. She was afraid. And her response was, how can this be? For I am a virgin. Thank you. And we are told that the angel explained how this would happen. That the Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of the Most High would overshadow her and she would conceive. And after this was explained by the angel, her response was, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I find that a remarkable and an amazing response from this teenage girl. Note very carefully there. She didn't insist on knowing every detail of God's plan before she was willing to trust God. Just catch that. She didn't insist on knowing every detail. She didn't argue the point. She didn't ask for further details. Well, how does that mean? What, what, what do you mean by that, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon me? What do you mean by overshadow me? What's that supposed to mean? You see, there are two ways in which we can ask questions of God. We can ask questions out of hearts which are full of belief and trust and a desire to trust God. Or we can ask questions out of unbelief. Let me give you one example. In Luke's Gospel, in the early chapters, we are introduced to two babies being born. There's the birth of John the Baptist and there's the birth of Jesus. Both are miraculous. John's mother, mother, Elizabeth, was barren and past childbearing age. Mary was a virgin. And the angel Gabriel announced the birth of these babies, first to John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, and then to Mary, that children would be born to them. And their response to this startling news was almost identical. How can this be? Both of them asked. Their words might have been identical, but that's as far as it went. Because we can see that from Zechariah, when he uttered those words in response, that it came from a heart of unbelief. And he was struck dumb by God until the birth of John. Mary asked the same question, but she asked that out of a believing heart. 
And she was seen as blessed. You know, we've just finished Alpha. To tell you the truth, Alpha's almost finished me as well, but that's another story. (laughs) During Alpha, many people ask questions. And the majority of these questions were asked out of a desire to learn, a desire to believe. But there were some questions by some of our folk. And it always is the case in Alpha that were asked with a cynicism and distrust and an unbelief. The actual questions that these two groups of people might have been exactly the same, but the heart behind those questions might have been very different. The answer the angel gave to Mary's question of how can this be was not by any means the full picture. And I'm sure that she and Joseph had many other questions. Their knowledge was partial. Their understanding was incomplete, but they still chose to trust God where they were not permitted to see. And I think it's a very important lesson there. That many people want all of the answers before they will make a step in God's direction. They want all the answers before they will trust in God. But I would say, there are always unanswered questions this side of heaven. Some people want all of the answers. They want some special sign from God before they will believe. But as I say, this side of heaven, we're living by faith. There will always be unanswered questions. 33 years ago, Julie and I believed that God had called us into full-time Christian ministry. And for me to give up my jobs, I was working in the local council during the day. I'm working as a youth worker at night. You know what it is like for young families doing your best to make ends meet. We had to give up our home, sell our home and moved to theology college with our then two children. It was an incredibly scary thing, and incredibly exciting at the same time. We believed that God had promised to take care of all of our financial needs. However, I just wanted God to show us up front front what what he was going to do, how the figures were going to work out. I wanted all the answers before I was prepared to make that step before I gave up my job, before we moved our kids into a couple of rooms in a theological college for three years, this man of great faith that I am, I just wanted to know everything up front. But God just gave us the assurance that everything would be okay and not how he was going to do it. He just wanted us to trust him. And you know what, as I look back, I'm so glad that that was the case. Because that did something within our lives and taught us lessons that perhaps we could not have learned any other way. And that lesson has been with me all through my life and all through my church ministry. And the things that we have seen even in this church (coughs) have been perhaps because some of those lessons that were learned very early on. As a family we had £2,000 to live on for a year. We lacked nothing. God provided everything. Very, very important lessons. And you see, the Lord loves it when we are willing to trust him without having to know it all. And I would say to you today, please don't wait until you have every question answered before you decide to trust Jesus. Don't think that after two years or 20 years or 60 years of being a Christian that you won't have any more questions. You will. You absolutely will. You will, that is, if you are not stagnating in your Christian faith. 
If you are growing in your faith and if you are moving on and if you are exploring the scriptures and if you are working out your faith, then you will always, always have questions. They won't be the same questions that you had at the start before you became a Christian, but there'll be other questions. You know, I sometimes surprise people by telling them that I knew an awful lot more 20 years ago than I know now. And people are shocked when I say that. And I mean it, it's true, it's, it, 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 it is honestly true. <clears throat> but they say, Steve, how can that be? You know, you've studied the Bible so much over the years, you've got academic qualifications. You know, how, how, how is that so? They're different questions. I've moved on, I'm not in the same place anymore. And you see, the Christian faith is a journey. It's a, an exploration, it's a discovery of our God, it's not a static thing. Reminds me of a famous theologian by the name of Dr. Clark Pinnock, um, one of my favourite theologians and uh, one of my favourite writers. Some of his colleagues berated him for uh, changing his mind on some key theological issues. And his reply to them was quite wonderful, it's this. He said, there's something... Much worse than a theologian who changes his mind. It's a theologian who never changes his mind. And I thought that was terrific. You see, two-year-old children are full of questions. But they are different to the questions you have from a six-year-old, which are different from the questions you have from a ten-year-old. There's development, there's progression. And we move from the elementary questions of our faith we ask other questions. And if a 10-year-old is asking the questions that he or she asked as a 2-year-old, you know that something is wrong somewhere. There will always be new questions. And it's natural. It's a, it's a part of growing up as a Christian. And as I say, the only time the questions stop is when a person settles in their faith or they become complacent or they're not prepared to think about their faith any longer. Well, they feel that they've already arrived. And that's always a dangerous place to be. And my point is this, that you don't need all of the answers before you choose to trust God. Some of you today might be looking into the Christian faith. You may have many questions. But my word, my encouragement to you would be, don't wait until you have answers or you think that you can have answers to all of those questions. Just take that step of faith. Because if you don't, you can wait forever. Because there will always be other questions. And whilst the Lord doesn't expect any of us to throw our brains away or to make some kind of leap of blind faith into the dark, there will come a time when we feel that we know enough and that we are prepared to venture out in faith and say, God, I don't understand everything. I haven't got the answer to all of my questions. But from what I know, I really, truly want to follow you. That is so important. The second thing that I uh, learned from this story, the first thing is you don't need all the answers before you trust God. And secondly, God always shows us more after we choose to journey with him. You see, despite Mary's partial knowledge and be, despite her unanswered questions, Mary was still willing to trust the Lord in this. And it was along the way, it was along the way that the Lord opened uh, her eyes to other things. It was along the way that she was given questions, to uh, given answers to some of those questions which she had. It was along the way that she was able to make more sense of things. 
You see, on a couple of occasions in the New Testament, we read of Mary, who had just been told certain things about Jesus or things that she observed about him. And uh, it records this, that Mary treasured up these things in her, and, and things and pondered them in her heart. You see, the questions that she didn't have initially, or the answers, the questions, the answers to the questions, let me get that the way, right way around. The answers to the questions that she didn't have initially became clearer day by day. And that's the way that it is with God. It is through our day by day relationships with him that we are often given, given answers to those questions. You see, those who are never prepared to get out of the boat will never walk on water. And those who are never willing to trust the Lord will never experience the joy of his power and presence in their lives. And as I said last week, that those who aren't generous with their time and money will never experience the truth that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And those who never share their faith with another person will never have the joy of being a part of the process of seeing someone come to faith in Jesus. And those who never offer to pray for anyone will never witness the work of a miracle in their lives. Stay in the boat and you won't get wet. But neither will you experience the miracle of God's presence and power in your life. You see, I, I firmly believe that as we start trusting the Lord more in our lives, and the Lord is calling you perhaps to trust him in ways that he's not calling me and vice versa. But actually when we start trusting him, he always gives us more revelation when we are moving forward in trust and when we've chosen to journey with him. Remember the occasion when God directed the Israelites to the promised land, the land which he had promised them. But between the space where they were and the land which was to be given to them was a raging torrent of a river, the river Jordan. But it was only as the Levites carrying the Ark of the Covenant actually put one foot forward after another and stood into the flooded river did the rivers part. A little bit like, you know, when you've got the supermarket doors in the distance. They're not going to open, are they, when you stand at a distance. You have to walk all the way up to them in faith, so to speak. <coughs> Give you another illustration. And uh, drivers will know that trying to turn a steering wheel of a stationary car is very difficult. But when the car is moving and the engine is on, it's, it's, it's so simple, even a child can do it. Illustrate it another way. To venture out with God in trust is almost like a relationship. When I got to know Julie um, all those years ago and decided I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, I ventured out in faith and asked her to marry me. Surprise, surprise, huge surprise, she said yes. And we've been on that journey since we first knew each other, now 41 years. And I certainly know much, much more about Julie, and she knows much more about me. Probably if she knew what she now knows about me, she might not have married me in the first place. But that's another subject altogether. But I know much more about her, and she about me, than we did 41 years ago when we met, or when we were engaged 38 years or married 35 years ago. But these days, as most most relationships can that we communicate with a look with a raised eyebrow with a stare and a stare can mean all sorts of different things within a marriage we know that 
you know what I mean, guys? The stare? Yes, okay. But never from Julie, not that kind of stare. <coughs> I'm digging a hole for myself. Or raised eyebrow, or a slant of a head, or a shrug of the shoulders, or a grin. And sometimes we don't need communication at all. We just know each other of how we are thinking and feeling. And you see, when we start out on the journey with God, it's wonderful. And the early days are so wonderful. They're heady and exciting and and they're thrilling. But in time, that relationship turns into sort of a deep trust, having deeper insights and revelation of how God thinks and what is on God's heart. And I don't mean to be flippant by this when I say this, that we just become far more aware of his ways. So you don't need all the answers before you trust God. And God always shows us more after we choose to journey with him. So how do those principles apply to us today in this room? Firstly, it may be a challenge for some of you here this morning to put your trust in Jesus, to become a true Christian, to say, Jesus, I am going to follow you. Maybe that you're someone who has been quite reticent in doing that. You've been hanging back a little bit. You want all of your questions answered before you dare make those first steps. It may be that you've been on Alpha and you've been surprised at how intellectually robust the Christian faith is or the way that it's affected so many people's lives. But maybe you're waiting for some some kind of sign from heaven or some answer to prayer or some emotional or ecstatic experience And God says to you, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34 verse 8. In other words, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. The tasting comes before the seeing. You decide to taste first and you will see the goodness of God in your life. In a few moments time we're going to be sharing communion together. And I would say to you, if that's you this morning, you might be the only person in this place. Why not use those moments as we lead up to communion to do your own tasting and seeing and to say to Jesus, Today, Lord, I am going to choose to follow you. I am choosing to believe that your death on that cross 2,000 years ago as symbolized by the bread and the wine will bring me my forgiveness. And then as a response to that decision, I encourage you to come and share the bread and the wine with other believers. For others in this place today, there may be other challenges. Maybe things that God is calling you to do to venture out and trust him. Things which might seem quite scary to you. For some, it may be giving financially in a way that honours God. Maybe that you felt the, the finger of God upon you for recent months that you need to do something about this that you need to increase your level of giving to the Lord's work and if that is what you sense that the Lord is saying to you then I would encourage you don't leave it to the new year be decisive choose an amount or choose a percentage of your income and with a generous heart and with gratitude to God for all that he has done for you make that commitment there's more information on that in the foyer for others You might feel convicted about never venturing out to share your faith with a work colleague or that neighbour. 
as I said earlier, those who stay in the boat will never walk on water. And I'd like to encourage you today to take that plunge. Go for it. Invite that friend to a Christmas service. It's something for everyone at Christmas time. Share with them what Jesus means to you. Tell them about God's love for them. Don't be a wimp, please. There may be some other things that God is showing you. But please remind yourself that you don't need all the answers before you trust God. And God always shows us much more after we choose to journey with him.